Well, um, I must say I really enjoyed that time of worship, didn't you? And a huge thanks to our worship team and the huge effort they put in every week, um, even if we have had a few unexpected noises coming from the stage today. Well, as, as you know, we're in the Sermon on the Mountain today. It's my privilege to take you through Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Here we go. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It's amazing how relevant these words still are for us today. The human heart has not changed in the 2,000 years since Jesus first uttered these words. What has changed, of course, is our ability to reach an audience. When the Pharisees gave money at the temple, they announced it with trumpets. Perhaps they could reach 30 or 50 people, maybe two, three hundred if they were lucky. You and I, on the other hand, if we're into social media, have the power with the click of a button on my phone your phone, to, to project and broadcast our good works to thousands. Never before has it been so easy to tell so many about the good things that we're doing for God. There's even a new phenomenon now which relates to what Jesus is talking about here. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term. It's called Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. That's when I do and say things, particularly online, and comment on things and have a particular look on my face about certain things that is designed to signal to you what a virtuous person I am. So if something terrible happens, there's an act of discrimination, there's uh, uh, something that goes on that really isn't acceptable, then I comment about it. In so doing, I reveal to you how virtuous I actually am. And there's a tremendous amount of virtue signaling that's going on today. I think it's often linked to the outrage that people express on the internet. Because the more angry you are about an injustice, for example, the more it shows just what a great person you really are. But back to the Sermon on the Mount. Doing things to look good, to, to, to look spiritual, was common practice in Jesus' day. People 
gloried in their own goodness. I've said this before in other sermons, but before Jesus came along, humility was not regarded as a virtue. In fact, the Roman world considered keeping quiet about your good deeds as you know, kind of not on. The Pharisees in Jesus' day were the experts at looking good, at signaling virtue, and they made sure they found many ways to, to look good. Giving publicly was, was one of those ways. So Jesus says, when you give to the needy, and this isn't even talking about giving to the church, this is talking about helping poor people. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. But the way they gave wasn't the only way in which their spirituality was perverted. It was the way the Pharisees dressed. They, they dressed in a particular way to show how spiritual they were. They had many different titles that they used for themselves and for one another. And sadly, we see a great deal of that in the wider church. It's bishop, this apostle, that, holy seer, whatever it may be. Titles, the way they walked. You know there's a very spiritual walk. You might see it at a prayer meeting, or uh, there's, a, there's a very spiritual way to stand in church, particularly if you're praying or giving a word. You know, these are the finer points of uh, religion. Uh, the Pharisees like to sit in a particular place, or certain chairs reserved for them, how they spoke, who they were seen with. These things were all stage-managed to create and to compose a fantastic image of who these people were. Jesus is so different to that. He liked to withdraw. Often Jesus would do a miracle and then he would say, please don't tell anybody what I've done for you. We don't know how much Jesus gave. How often Jesus fasted. How long Jesus prayed. Jesus didn't dress up. Use fancy titles. He called himself the son of man. Wow, that's a, that's a biggie. Buy into the trappings of greatness. Engage in image crafting. He didn't have a stylist, a media consultant. He didn't desire Human affirmation. This is Jesus. Such a world of difference between who Jesus was and how he conducted himself and how the religious people of his day conducted themselves. Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. So our theme today is the good deeds that we do. And what is obvious is that we should be doing good deeds. Following Jesus should result in behavior that is virtuous. 
Our faith in God and our love for our fellow man should result in us being generous, gracious, compassionate, long-suffering, forgiving. We are called here, Jesus says, to acts of righteousness. But Jesus' point in this section is that we should be doing them for an audience of one. When we first as pastors sat around discussing the Sermon on the Mount and dividing up and sharing who's going to preach on who, the initial discussion went along the grounds of, oh, this passage here is about giving. And, and the more I looked at this passage, I realized no, it's not a passage about giving. It's a passage about doing what we do for an audience of one. Yes, it, it mentions giving and fasting and praying, but the reason Jesus mentions giving and fasting and praying, it is trying to make the point about how we conduct ourselves when it comes to the good deeds and the good things that we're doing. And Jesus' message is they should be done in an unseen manner. He talks about when you give to the needy, it's all about how you give and your father seeing what is done in secret. When you're praying, go and hide yourself in your room. Your father who sees what you do will reward you. When you fast, uh, don't let people know so that your father who is, un, who, who is unseen will see what you're doing in secret and reward you. There's almost a measure of deception that's involved in a positive sense. When it comes to giving, there needs to be sleight of hand. The offering bag goes by and I pull out from under my sleeve. Nobody saw that. Even I didn't know what I was doing there. My left hand doesn't know what my right hand is doing. The deception gets even... Greater when it comes to fasting. When you're fasting, well, go to the hairdresser before you go on a fast. Make sure you're going to look really good. Oh, wow. It's what Jesus says. Put oil on your head. When it comes to prayer, the Greek word that Jesus uses about where you must go to pray, it's, it's your inner room. It's, it's only used four times in the New Testament. Some Bible translations talk about your cupboard, your closet. He says when you're going to, to pray, go into your inner room, open your cupboard, climb in, shut the door, and there pray so that your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Friends, the number one rule about fasting is not to tell anybody you're doing it, says Jesus. And I am amazed how often when people are fasting, they feel it necessary to tell other people. Sometimes they tell me. But here's how it works. If you're fasting and you tell people, then you're only dieting. Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. 
What does it mean, be careful? This is what parents say to their children as they go out the door in the morning. Be careful. It's what I still say to my son when he heads out the door with his skateboard. Or mountain bike. It's what people say to me when I go out on my mountain bike. What does it mean to, to take care? It, it means be alert for this. Consider carefully. Keep a close lookout for this. That's what Jesus says. Be careful when you do your acts of righteousness. Be careful how you do them and who sees you doing them. Don't fall into the trap of trying to impress other people. What are these acts of righteousness? Again, looking at the Greek word, and I love to say this word even if I don't always pronounce it correctly, dikaiosune. It's like you're praying in tongues even if you're not. But dikaiosune is the Greek word for righteousness, and it, it also is the word for justice. In the Greek language, and probably in Hebrew as well, there's no difference between righteousness and justice. It's, it's one and the same word. What are acts of righteousness, acts of justice? Jesus lists three, but there are many more. He obviously talks about giving to the poor, having a quiet time, fasting. But the thrust of it is be careful not to do these things to gain favor and acclaim from other people. Our goal needs to be to please God, not to impress people. There's a story in the Bible about a lovely couple who really did have generous hearts because they sold a property they owned so that they would be able to free up some cash to be able to give money to the poor. Now if, now, if any of us were to do that, and maybe some of you have done that, I would think, wow, that is an amazing thing to do, to sell a property, to free up some money to be able to give to the poor. Well, that couple's name is, is Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a piece of property and with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself. And he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. It's what people were doing to, to help the poor in the church. And Peter says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? What happens next is very important. Listen to the argument here. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Peter's making the point, you didn't have to sell this property. And after you'd sold the property, wow, if you'd just given 10% of its value to the church, how awesome that would have been. They didn't, there was no compulsion for them to, to give all the money. But what they decided to do was to use this giving as a way to impress people, to up their status in the church. 
And as you know, it doesn't turn out well. I'm not sure if God struck him down or if he had a heart attack. I'd like to believe the second. But he collapses there and then. A little while later, his wife comes in, verse 7. Peter says to her, is this the full price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, it is, she said. And Peter says, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? And she also dies. So either that's a a cluster of heart attacks right there, uh, or that is divine judgment. But what's going on here? This This is God dealing with hypocrisy and virtue signaling in the church. Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before people. Here's another example of someone who practiced their religion in a way to impress other people. It's the Pharisee who goes to the church. He goes to the temple to pray, Luke 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Ever been to a prayer meeting where you've heard prayers a little like this one? Here's a person who thinks they're the bee's knees, who thinks they've really got it together spiritually. And the amazing thing is that they probably believe it themselves. He's not heard Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. What can we learn from this gentleman? It's that perhaps trying to impress others with our own spirituality starts off when we're impressed ourselves by our own spirituality. (laughs) I like the way Jesus says he prays about himself. Let's bring this closer to home. Here's a man, he's participating in public worship. He's praying out aloud in public. We all know that even in our Context. If you can pray out aloud in public, you, you know, that puts you a little higher on the, the ladder. Praying out loud in public. He's involved in church life. He's carrying responsibility for the people of God. He's playing an important role in society. As far as this Pharisee is concerned, he is living a good life. He's not an adulterer. He's not doing crime. He's not stealing. He's giving to the church and to the poor. But it all counts for nothing. The parable goes on, but a tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, God have mercy on a sinner like me. The Pharisee was outwardly more holy and righteous 
sondern nur Stacks gelegt hat. But Jesus sees their hearts very differently. Jesus talks a lot in the Sermon on the Mountain about rewards. Our rewards. We don't talk too much about rewards in church. Because, you know, we feel being motivated by a reward is somehow unchristian. But nine times alone in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about our reward. God rewarding godly behavior is a strong theme in both the Old and New Testament. Jeremiah 17 says, The Lord searches the heart and examines the mind to reward a person according to their conduct. Is my mic dropping out? Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon and my reward is, is with me. Moses in Hebrews 11, we believe, was motivated by the reward he would get for giving up the, the luxury of Egypt and identifying himself with God's people. He did that in part for the reward that he would receive. John writes, watch out that you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Rewards are a big deal in the Bible. Giving a cup of cold water to a person has an, a reward attached to it. Here's a sobering thought. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him or her, whether good or bad. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and hopefully be rewarded for every good thing that we have done. Of course, the classic passage is 1 Corinthians 3, where we're told we're going to be tested with fire, and the quality of each person's work is going to be revealed. And if you built with things that were just freely lying around and with not much effort, wood, hay, stubble, straw, and you threw something together for God, it's going to all burn up. And you're going to get into heaven smelling like smoke. That's what Paul writes here. But if you've built something for God on the foundation, which is Christ, and you built with quality, with gold, with pearls, I don't know what else he mentions there, but, but valuable things and carefully and on the right foundation, if you build well, it'll be tested with fire. And we will be greatly rewarded. We can lose our reward when we try to get our egos stroked. Another thing about these rewards is that they're a little bit like Discovery's New Vitality Rewards Program that many of us are on. They've just changed that. Now, there's now reward swapping that goes on. Instead of getting a milkshake at Kauai, I can save up all my rewards and I can exchange one set of rewards for something else. Jesus says we can do the same with heavenly rewards. There's, there's, a, there's an exchange program when it comes to these rewards. 
How does the exchange program work? Say something, you're going to do, do something good for God. You're, you're going to give money to the church. You're going to give money to, the, to help a poor person in need. You're going to spend time fasting, spend time in session. These are good things, and they all come with a reward. And either you can have a reward from God, or you can swap that heavenly reward for a reward from people. Okay? <laughs> Which is actually about 1% of the value of the heavenly reward. But that's what Jesus says here. Where does he say it more clearly? Okay, firstly, there's the no reward you, for prayer, because you get it from heaven. But when we give to the needy, and we announce it, and we Instagram it, and we Facebook it, we've received our reward in full. So then we've swapped that heavenly reward for, for impressing people. We've swapped that heavenly reward for a higher status down here. 1 Corinthians 13, the great passage of love. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, wow, that sounds like a committed person. But I have no love, and we could add in brackets, or I'm doing it to impress people. I gain nothing. Nothing. There is this little tension, however, that exists between what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 4, which is what I've been talking about today, and what he says in Matthew 5, verse 16, which is what we talked about the other day. <laughs> Matthew 5, verse 16 is that chapter where Jesus says we're salt and light, and we must let our light shine before men. So, bottom line, so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, so how do we reconcile this tension between Matthew 5, where we, we want the world to see our good deeds so that they'll praise our Father in heaven, and, and what Jesus says in Matthew 6, that we must do it all in, in private? I think the way to reconcile this tension is that if it's something that you can do in private, then do it in private. Matthew 5 is talking about when just because of who you are and how you're living your life humbly before God, people observe because they can't but help see how you live your life, how you react when things go wrong, what's important to you, the decisions that you make. When they see that kind of stuff, which can't be hidden, they will praise God and, and be moved by your life. What is it about our, our secret life? Well, God sees our secret life. Are you the same person in public and when you share with others about your walk with the Lord? Are you that same person in private? That's at the heart of hypocrisy. I think the word hypocrite comes from the theater where you, you appear one way in, in one setting, but you're something else in another. Jesus stresses the importance of, 
being the same. What can we learn from the Pharisees as we begin to wrap this up? We can actually learn a lot from the Pharisees. We can learn how not to practice our spirituality. Let's look at this passage together. Because it just highlights what they were doing wrong. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. The phylacteries, they wrap it around, maybe it's the left arm, I don't know, the whole headgear. It's amazing all the hats people wear in Jerusalem. They love the places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted and publicly recognized and honored and to be called rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, which means teacher, for you only have one master and you're all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher. You have one teacher, the Christ. I'm horrified by what goes on in some churches. There's this tradition today of pastors having armor bearers. Can you believe it? This is a cohort of servants that run around after the pastor, even dabbing his forehead with a brow, you know, to sweat off his brow during a sermon. I mean, these things get taken way, way where they shouldn't even be going. Do you know how they picked the title president for the the top of the pecking order in the, in the American system. There's a TED talk on this. And when they were trying to decide, what are we going to call the person who, who kind of is at the head of this pyramid of power in our government, they tried to think of a word with the least amount of prestige and status. Well, they really did. Even chairman was considered to you know, kind of, it's also a bit um, communist. They came upon the word president because they just wanted to identify the person who would preside over their meetings. And that's why they came up with the term president. Just an adjective, really. Do you see how easy it is for simple titles to get blown out of all proportion when we see what's going on in the Catholic Church in many other churches today, the titles for pastors are often kind of five words long. The most right, renderable, honorable, apostolic bishop, his royal lordship. Doesn't impress God one little bit. And they've done that whole reward exchange. Why get rewarded by God if you can get rewarded down here? Friends, let us be careful not to do our acts of justice and righteousness before men to be seen by them. If we do, we will have no reward from our Father in heaven. 
As I pray, Shelley and others are going to come up to lead us in communion. What a great thing to do right now. To just be reminded of our pride, our sinful hearts, our need of grace, and of the grace that is there for us. Lord, these are such stark words to us. Lord, you understand how these fallen hearts of ours, because they're broken, because we often feel inferior, we, we so like other people to, to affirm us and to, to praise us. Free us, Lord, of the need to hear other people saying, good and faithful servant. Help us to live for an audience of one. To live for your final conclusion over our lives. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. God, guard us from hypocrisy. Guard us from superficial spirituality designed to impress people or designed to create an impression of who we are and what we're about that is not so. Keep us pure, Lord, and forgive us for where we have chosen to impress people over impressing you, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.